Uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much for the invitation to be here today. Um, I'm going to talk about the transition movement, but also to uh, give a sense of where transition and local governments meet, that kind of edge between the two things. And it's, uh, it's been fascinating to be here for COP21. And uh, I wanted to start with this, which is uh, an advert which I saw on the back of The Economist magazine a little while ago, which would have you believe that uh, this car and these trousers represent the ultimate evolution uh, of humanity. And, um, and that humanity always evolved with little dinner jackets on, which is a little bit strange. Um, but of course, for me, actually what we are seeing here at uh, COP21, I think is that a, a low carbon economy is kind of inevitable now. You know, this is, we often talk for many years, where's the tipping point? What does the tipping point look like? I think we are the other side of the tipping point. Uh, this is, for me, our work in transition and your work in energy cities is really about what does the next stage in this story look like? So at Transition Network for COP21, we didn't want to produce a big report of policy suggestions and uh, graphs and so on. We wanted to celebrate and tell some stories about the incredible things that people are already doing around the world. So there are transition groups now in 50 countries around the world, in thousands of places, starting from the bottom up at neighborhood scale, village scale, town scale, starting to create the kind of changes that, uh, that, that we need to see. And uh, so I want to share some of those stories with you today. And uh, here's one from, from Germany. I recently was in, in Berlin. Uh, in Kreuzberg, and this is the park in the middle of Kreuzberg. And uh, the transition group there decided they wanted to do something you would think was very simple. They wanted to plant 26 fruit trees in the park as a community to come together and do that. It took a little while to get the permission from the local government to do that. But then they planted the trees, the trees are now doing very well. But a year after they planted the trees, the local government passed a resolution to say that all of its landscaping that it would do as a local authority, every tree, every shrub, every plant that it planted, would now be an edible uh, plant. So for us in transition, we see the steps that we start to take as, as communities often inspire local government to do things. So there is a really interesting connection between those two things. One of the things that has been very, uh, so as I said, our contribution for COP21 was that we produced this book called 21 Stories of Transition. It's in English and French, we have some copies downstairs. And uh, this, this is one of those stories which is the rise of community-owned energy. And we looked at seven different transition groups in the UK who had started their own community energy companies. And between them, they had generated about £13 million pounds worth of communities investing into themselves to create infrastructure owned by the community. This is in, uh, in the city of Bath where the transition group started an energy company. Uh, the local community invested three quarters of a million pounds to buy shares in this energy company. That then inspired the city council to get involved and invest another two million and so, and so the thing has grown. So these models where the community starts and the local government comes towards, towards it and meets it uh, we see many of these happening now uh, across the country, across, across Europe, in fact, around the world. And sometimes that relationship with 
with the transition groups who are just citizen groups who of people who are concerned and who start these kind of things uh, are, are really helped by funding from elsewhere. This is in Luxembourg, uh, and the, the Minister of Sustainable Development in Luxembourg funds uh, a national transition Luxembourg as an organisation which then exists to support and train and inspire transition groups across Luxembourg. So in Luxembourg already, the transition groups have started three cooperatives, an energy company, a local food project, and then this, which is a community-supported agriculture scheme on the edge of Luxembourg, which feeds hundreds of families and trains people. But they all sit under this sort of shared story about transition. They all feel part of a, uh, of a collective story that is happening, but supported in that way. One of the things that people associate most often with transition is, is local currencies. This is, uh, in my town in Tottenham, so really one of the first ones. And we have a, a 21 pound note. And people sometimes say, why do you have a 21 pound note? And we say, well, why not? <laughs> and, and this is in, in Brixton, where the Brixton pound have created this really a remarkable five pound note to celebrate their fifth birthday. One of the most beautiful, uh, intriguing banknotes designed by a very famous uh, artist. And uh, when, when these currencies go to scale in a really interesting way, it's often with the support and engagement uh, of the city council. So in the city of Bristol, uh, where they have created the Bristol Pound, a city of about uh, 800,000 people, uh, the Bristol Pound has a lot of support from the city council. So you can spend the Bristol Pound on the buses, uh, you can pay your council tax, your business rates with the Bristol Pound, you can buy train tickets with it. You can now pay your energy bills uh, using the Bristol Pound. And the mayor of Bristol takes his full salary in local currency. And for the city council, the Bristol Pound is proving a really interesting tool for them starting to rethink and reimagine how they spend their money. Because when they procure, they spend millions of pounds every year buying goods and services. You know, if they design the local currency, businesses accept the local currency, that gives their bid an extra kind of gravity. The local currency is something, there are many of these happening in France as well, uh, and a very powerful tool for, for this kind of process. This is in Spain. One of our stories comes from, from Spain, from a place called Zazarejo, uh, which is an example of where transition uh, and where communities are forming their own uh, local government. So after the big changes with Podemos and everything, winning seats in various places. This is one of the villages, uh, one of them where there's the most transition stuff happening, where, um, where the local government is now made up of local people who are very inspired by transition. And this is one of the things that, that transition can do really beautifully. And I'll talk a bit later about some of the tools that, that, that transition can bring that could really help the work that you do. Uh, this is a, a community visioning exercise that they do where they get the community to come together and ask that question, what could this place be like in 20 years' time? That you start with a vision, and then you work out how you're going to get there, what are the steps to actually get there. And this is them doing a big community uh, visioning process in the square in Zazalejo. One of the things I think that also transition groups can bring to the work that, that you do is, it is around helping people to start to create new economies in the place where they live. So when you start to look at the world through a kind of transition perspective, the huge amount of opportunities 
uh, open up, to create a new economy which is based around this idea of more local, more resilient, diverse, uh, abundant economies. But how do you start? How do you step across into getting uh, people who have those ideas and get the community behind it? This is uh, an idea that we developed in my town, and this is uh, in Lambeth in South London. This is called a local entrepreneur forum. So at a local entrepreneur forum, five people come along with, with their business idea, they present their business. My name is uh, Rob, I want to start a, a, a brewery, and, uh, and I set out, and then you can ask me questions, I can tell you where I've got to with my, with my proposal. And you ask me questions, and then the idea is everybody in this room is a potential investor in my business. If you can lend me a pen, you can lend me 10,000 euros, you could create a website for me, you could uh, look after my garden while I'm uh, away at a meeting and water my plants, you, you know, and so on. And so what happens is the people pitch their idea and then the community offer their support. In my town, we've run four of them so far, and they've raised about £70,000 to support those businesses, created a very tight network of those businesses who look after each other. I've never been to an event about starting new businesses that moves people to tears uh, in a good way. Um, and uh, this one in London was, was, was really remarkable. This is another tool that's very scalable. This could happen, uh, this could happen anywhere. <coughs> and in terms of strategically, this is in, in Liège, uh, in Belgium, and um, this is a project that Liège en Transition started called Centurion d'Alimentaire. So it's about uh, taking a very strategic process of trying to reconnect the city to the land around the city, trying to reweave that connection that was what underpinned the economy before. So they, they're working with the universities, they're working with the city authority, uh, they're working with a whole range of different partners with the university to create a model that will allow the city to reconnect with the land around it. They've invited citizens to invest, they've raised maybe £100,000 of community investment, uh, more money from foundations to start farms and then they have a whole business model behind it. But this is the sense of the scale of ambition that we're talking about here. You know, localising uh, economies, not in absolutely everything, of course, but things that can be brought closer to home represents an enormous economic opportunity, as we'll go on to look at. And uh, my friend here mentioned Transition Streets earlier on. Transition Streets is a programme that we developed uh, here in, uh, that we developed in, uh, in Thomas, and which is now happening in many places around the world. Very simple idea. Uh, if you, how do you support the people in your town, in your city, to reduce their energy use, to reduce their water use? It's always something that we'd like to do, but how do we do it? Transition Streets is based on the idea that you support people to get out on their streets, they knock on the doors, they're on their streets, they get seven to ten of their neighbours together, they meet in each other's houses. One week they look at water, one week they look at food, one week they look at energy, and they, make, they, they decide to do things. Because they all live in the same kind of house, it's easier to work out changes that, that, that can be made. Um, the, it, where we did it, it's about 1.3 tonnes of carbon they save per household. This is uh, Transition Streets in Australia. It's happening in Belgium. It's happening in all over the place. It's a very scalable uh, strategy which is available uh, and can be run anywhere. And again, one of the key things for us, as transition grows, it's really important, is about communities owning assets. That if we really want to scale this stuff up for communities to own land and buildings, again, is a really key part of this. 
And this is a transition group uh, in the UK whose local government had a farm that it didn't really use anymore. So the local communities went and said, can we take on the farm? We'll run the farm. And they've turned it into what they call a care farm. So they're working with uh, people who have care needs and they also are growing food. They're setting up a bakery. They're setting up new businesses on this farm in community ownership. Another nice example of, of, of how the community can help the, the council to, to use its assets in a better way. In Alsace, there is a town called Ungersheim. Uh, and Ungersheim uh, is a really interesting example of, of, of transition being led by the men. So the transition model as we developed it, the idea was it's a model that citizens run. And then the local government supports it. In Ungersheim, uh, the mayor of Ungersheim uh, saw a film about transition and said, we'll do that. And uh, so they, they're doing transition in a really interesting integrated way that pulls all these things together. They started a local currency called Le Radi. Uh, they uh, uh, they uh, built a 5.3 megawatt solar farm. Uh, they're working with local food. They first started on land owned by the council, uh, an eight-acre market garden, which now supplies all the food into the town, into the schools. The schools are now 100% organic in all of their food. Uh, they've been mapping all of the uh, solar potential in the town. They've installed all manner of renewable energies. It's all in the 21 Stories book. But it's a really interesting example of, of when the mayor takes the lead with that stuff and brings in extra democracy and involves people, invites people to support it in all kinds of different ways. So for me, the, 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 the potential of transition is that there is a new economy there which we're starting to see in many different ways. And as we come through COP21, there are lots of things that can be agreed there, but there are other things that, that won't be agreed, but that we can do. There's this, this different approach of bringing it closer to home. This is uh, uh, in, in England, in the University of East Anglia. This is the university who needed to build a new building and who decided to take the thinking that we apply to local food, where we say, if we buy food lo more local to where we live, it will be lower carbon, it'll create more local work, and that kind of thinking. And they applied it to the materials they chose to build their new department for the university. So they built using local timber, uh, local, lots of different locally sourced materials. One of the things they have a lot of there is reeds. So they've made, and they have people who can put thatch on a house. So they got them to make thatch walls. So the building looks like this. And there's, if, if, as local authorities who need to build buildings, what would it mean to your local economy if every time you built something, 70% of those materials came from within 10 kilometers of the town? How would you build differently? What would that mean to your local economy? Something that, that we've been doing in transition is we start to build this case that actually Transition is a form of economic development. And we did, a, uh, we did these economic blueprints where in five places, there's other ones from this, where we mapped the economy of those places and said, where does the money go? So in, in your town, how much does the place spend on food every year? How much does it spend on energy every year? Of the money spent on food, how much is spent with local independent businesses? We found in my town, for example, we spend 30 million pounds on food every year. And of that, 22 million leaves through supermarkets. 
it meant that we had, could then argue, if we could make a 10% shift to local food businesses, that's two million pounds in our economy every year that we can control. We don't need to get funding from anywhere. We can make that happen. So it becomes a, a form of economic development. In, in Brixton, in London only, 93% of what they spend goes out through supermarkets. So we can start to take that back and building materials and energy and start to build the economy in a different way. This is a city in England called Preston. And Preston got together with the, the, uh, the local university, the local schools, the local hospital, and together they looked at how much money they spent every year. And they spent £750 million on goods and services. Then they said, how much of that do we spend in Preston? 4%. They were horrified. It really helped to shift their thinking to say, well, how, how can we increase that? Could we move, bring our pension investment back to Preston? Could we bring the model of the Evergreen co-ops in Cleveland in, in, in the US and apply it here so we meet more needs here locally? That, for me, is the big economic adventure of the next 10, 15 years, and it's something that, that the community organisations working skillfully with their local authorities can achieve really remarkable uh, stuff, I think. So, I suppose what we bring uh, in transition is many stories and experience uh, of doing this in, in, in thousands of communities now around the world, and it's some really useful tools for bringing people together for big kind of visioning programs, big uh, um, open space, world cafe, these kind of processes that enable communities to come together and tap into a kind of a deeper intelligence that's there, which is something that hopefully uh, would be useful to you because there's, if we can get this right, I think there's something really, really magical that can come from this. So, oh yes, this was the last thing I wanted to show. This is a horrible, very colourful thing that would give you a migraine if you look at it for too long, for which I apologise. This is a, a, an organisation in, in London who have been running a, a business looking at how London can feed itself. And they've been doing this research for 20 years now. And they, and they run a big market and they produce lots of food for people in London. And they say that people could, two and a half percent of London's food could come from back gardens and people growing their own food. Five percent could come from new urban production, creating intensive market gardens in urban spaces. Seventeen and a half could come from the land around the city, which is now largely covered with stockbrokers' daughters' ponies. 35% could come from within 100 miles of the city and 20% from the rest of the country. When I look at this, this is a hugely exciting plan for how the economies of the next 10, 15, 20 years could develop. If I was 18, 20 now, I'd be looking at this as, as, as an enormous opportunity in terms of new enterprise, in terms of reconnecting local economies, all of that kind of thing. You know, one of the things to me that comes out of COP21 is this is already happening. This is happening all over the world. And actually, whatever is decided in La Bourget over the next, La Bourget over the next couple of weeks, this will continue to gather pace. And we don't wait for the permission of what is decided in La Bourget because it's too important and because this is just a better way of doing things. So for me, when I look at this, I see this as a really exciting model of how we can develop the future, not just for food, for building, for energy, uh, and so on.
So this is the last story that I want to just share with you, which is from, from Brussels. And uh, this is a district in Brussels called Mille-Rousseau. And um, the, this is the red light district uh, in Brussels. And the people who live on the street experience many of the problems that living alongside prostitution brings. And lots of families with small children living in these uh, in the apartments here. So the, the local government decided that they wanted to block the road off here. They put these concrete blocks to stop cars driving up and down the street looking for women. And uh, so the transition group said, we can do a little bit better than that. Could you let us build a garden? Could you make a garden here? So the local government gave them the, the materials and gave them the compost that they needed. And then the transition group organized a day and brought together uh, lots of people in the street. They came together. They built the garden. It contains 13 different beds. And each bed is managed by a different family on the street. So some of them are managed very, very neat and tidy and very neat rows. Some of them are a bit more kind of chaotic. What people said was that this used to be a part of the city where you put your collar up and you walked. You didn't stop. Now people come out. They say whenever you come out and you start to garden, within five minutes, there are children out playing around where you are. I think sometimes when we look at climate change and, and we want to engage citizens in climate change, we imagine that people go from not being involved to being really, 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 really involved. But it's a, it's a process that needs steps. Many people don't have the confidence to rush out and do big things. We need steps. And projects like this can be the first step. The people who created this garden, they've never done anything like this before. Now, they're working with people on the other streets around who are coming to them and saying, can we have one of these gardens too? And they're helping them to create those gardens. They say one of the things they love about it is that the, there's something about the number 13. This garden has 13 beds. 13 to get 13 more families. What they say to people on the other streets is, we'll come and help you make a garden, but you need to have 13 of your neighbours signed up that they will look after one of the beds in this garden. 13 is a really interesting number. 13 feels possible, achievable, I could do 13, but 13, you have to knock on some doors of people you don't already know to get 13. So, yeah, so this is a really nice example of how the local government enabled this, but unlocked a lot more in terms of building uh, other projects. So, that's all I have to say for you. So, Transition Network, if, if you want to have a look on there, you'll find more information about what we do. And thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.
And so they had to go, they were invited to London and had a meeting with the Bank of England who grilled them for three hours, what are you doing, how does it work? As a result of which, then the Bank of England published uh, a position paper of their legal understanding of local currencies and answering all those questions. So it worked really, really well. Um, I can't think of any, I think inevitably when you raise this subject uh, at a community scale, um, there are some people who make some of those points. Surely this is about going back to the 1800s or it's anti-progress or something. But that tends to be sort of a, kind of an intellectual thing. Actually, on the ground, what people see is new businesses, more and more innovation, better foods. Um, I know there's one of our 21 stories is a project in, uh, in Wales uh, that's a surplus food cafe. So they realised the amount of food in their town that was being thrown away every month and they went around to all the food businesses and said, if, 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 if we took the food and we ran a, a cafe that took the food when it was still okay, uh, would that be okay? So, so they now run this very successful cafe. Uh, all the food is donated to them. And they have to have a chef who can adapt really quickly because if you're a chef that always works for the menu, you know, you need to work in a cafe one day. The day I rang them, they had just been given 160 kilos of bananas, for example. So you need to be a very flexible chef. But, then, but some of the other restaurants, some of the cafes in the town have said, but this is not competitive because you get all your produce free. So some of those discussions happen. But I think generally my experience is that the work that Transition does of, of, of inspiring people to step up is something that is really appreciated by most people. Um, il y a d'autres questions là-bas, euh, dans, enfin, je sais moi que le micro, donc euh, je me dépasse. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carl Speck from the city of Boston in the US. So lots of very interesting examples that you've given. Some of them from, a lot of them from local groups. Some of them involving city government. So I'm with the city government. And I think about what should we be doing. So given that there are always advantages and disadvantages from framing this kind of effort, what are the advantages and disadvantages of having the city government run or intervene or push or try to encourage these kinds of local initiatives? And related to that, is there a consideration about the scale? Do these work better in smaller communities as opposed to a larger community, Boston or even, say, Paris or New York? Excellent question, both. Thank you very much. Um, I think, um, well, to take the, first, the second question first, so, so the way that transition works is at a neighborhood scale. 
So there is no Transition London, for example, but there are about 40 or 50 transition initiatives at the neighbourhood scale across the city, where people self-identify the neighbourhood, the scale on which they want to work. Uh, and that's, that, that's really how it works. So like in Brussels, in New Bruxelles, uh, people generally who live in a city have a sense of the part of the city that they come from, and that's really the scale it works on. But often those groups will network and share experience and support and training with each other so that they make sure they do the best they can. In terms of the city council, um, my experience is that actually just to get started doing transition, all you need from the city council is really a sort of uh, some supportive words and a, and, a, and a culture that encourages that, uh, and, a, and, a, and a story from the city council that says this is the kind of thing we like to see. Once transition gets going, then uh, certainly some bits of support in different ways can be really helpful. Things like the economic blueprint that I mentioned here, certainly uh, the, council, the, the, the transition groups that have created economic blueprints have found that relationship with the city council really important in terms of accessing data, accessing information that enables something like that to be pulled together. Our experience as well is that after a couple of years of doing transition, it depends on the different groups, but you can experience what we call the donut effect, which is where you have a very, very active transition group, and then the transition group starts a food group and an energy group and a housing group, for example, and then the food group starts a number of new enterprises, the energy group starts new enterprises, and all the dynamic energy ends up around the edge, and the, all that energy moves down, so you don't, the, the, the transition initiative in the middle struggles for energy because all, it's all around the edge in the enterprises. So what we found make a real difference is when groups are established at a certain level is for the local government to support that, to support a person, a role, who sits in the middle and ties it all together. That makes an enormous difference, a kind of community organiser role in the centre. And then, uh, and then as, as groups become more ambitious and um, try want to start some bigger projects, like I mentioned in Bath, you know, for, for the local authority to, to invest, to move investment into those kind of projects, and maybe to provide some at-risk finance at the beginning to help those things to get established, whether it's an energy company or in some transition groups now, we see the community becoming its own developer, taking on land uh, to build uh, community-led development on. That kind of thing, there's all manner of ways in which that, that relationship can kind of establish. So for me, it's kind of at different stages, there's different interventions and support, uh, and we could certainly have more of a conversation about that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one last question then, and after we, we continue the conversation with other examples. Hello. First of all, congratulations for your amazing work. I have already heard about it in so many forums and workshops and meetings, and it's great to hear it from you. I have one question. I don't know if you can answer me. If not, we can talk about it later. I don't want to delay the meeting. Um, on your last slide, you show an interesting project made by the community. For example, uh, from where I come from, from Portugal, uh, doing that on the street, it would be very difficult because of safety reasons, for example, for fire departments. Do you work with the fire department and uh, to solve these questions or, um, or not? Um, I would be, well, the first thing to say is if you are in Portugal, so just to your right there, Felipe here is from Portugal. 
and uh, has been very involved with transition in Portugal, so she can put you in that context. Uh, and secondly, um, uh, so certainly that garden there that I mentioned before, uh, in order to do this, they would have had to have got all of the permissions. So it took them about 10 months. Uh, they said that, they, that it, it was very quick to get the yes from the local government, but then to get all the agreements and stuff took about 10 months for, for precisely that reason. Good, thank you very much. I think thank that's you. what you said several times in your presentation, that you have to take the, the right to, and to take the power, and, uh, and to really do the initiative without asking, exactly. or without uh, the permission for, but still, yeah, there's an issue, especially when you are a local elected person, <laughs> to take that uh, permission. Yeah.